Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into For a New Liberty by Murray Rothbard, a seminal work that has shaped the contours of libertarian thought. First published in 1973, this book presents a rigorous argument against the necessity of a central government challenging the state's involvement in various aspects of life, including education and law enforcement. Rothbard's critique underscores the inefficiencies, overreaches, and ethical violations of governmental authority, laying a foundational critique that calls for a sweeping reevaluation of the role of the state in individual lives. Murray Rothbard, the author of this influential work, was a titan in the fields of political theory and economics. A distinguished professor and a proponent of the Austrian School of Economics, Rothbard was instrumental in developing the concept of anarcho-capitalism, a blend of classical liberalism and individualist anarchism. His involvement in the Libertarian Party during the 1970s and 80s, alongside his role in founding the Cato Institute, marks him as one of the pivotal figures in modern libertarianism. His bibliography, including notable titles like America's Great Depression, The Ethics of Liberty, and Man, Economy, and State, cements his legacy as a critical thinker and a challenger of the status quo. For a New Liberty is aimed at a diverse audience, including enthusiasts of political philosophy and theory, individuals who find themselves disenchanted with traditional, conservative, and liberal paradigms, and those who either identify as libertarians or possess libertarian leanings. Rothbard's work invites readers into a provocative discourse on freedom, governance, and the inherent rights of the individual, making it a must-read for anyone invested in the ongoing conversation about the role and reach of government in the modern world. For a New Liberty The Libertarian Manifesto. Introduction. Exploring a world without government. A libertarian vision. Imagine waking up in a world where there's no central government, no taxes, no police patrolling the streets, and no politicians making decisions on your behalf. To many, this scenario might sound like the beginning of an apocalyptic movie, where chaos reigns supreme. Yet this vision of anarchy is not what libertarians dream of when they advocate for a stateless society. Instead, they see a world thriving in peace and individual freedom, much like ancient Ireland, which flourished without a central ruling body. In a time when the concept of a stateless society seems more like fantasy than feasible reality, the whispers of libertarianism are becoming increasingly loud and clear. This ideology rooted deeply in the sanctity of individual rights, calls for a dramatic reduction in central government powers, or its complete abolition. This narrative invites you on a journey through libertarian thought, unveiling why its supporters are critical of government intervention and illustrating the blueprint of a libertarian society. By embarking on this exploration, you might find yourself viewing the role of the state under a new, perhaps skeptical light. Throughout this exploration, you will uncover the foundational belief of libertarians that all rights are essentially property rights, the libertarian perspective on why acts like inciting a riot fall outside the realm of crime, and the intriguing argument on how unrestricted markets hold the key to combating environmental issues. 
Pack your bags, we're about to dive into the possibilities of a new liberty, one that reimagines the fabric of society without the threads of government control binding it together. Part 1. The Rise, Evolution, and Resilience of Libertarian Ideals in America Libertarianism, often perceived as a political outlier in today's landscape, actually forms the bedrock upon which the United States was built. Rewind a few centuries, and you'll find that the spirit of libertarianism wasn't just mainstream, it was revolutionary. At a time when governments across the globe were characterized by omnipotent kings, oppressive regimes, and unchecked monopolies, a new political ideology began to simmer in America, one that championed the individual's right to liberty and questioned the very essence of central control. This journey into the heart of America's libertarian past reveals a narrative of ideological evolution, marked by the desire for open markets, the cessation of war, and an unyielding resistance to tyranny masked as divine decree. It's a journey that retraces the steps of classical liberals, the forebears of modern-day libertarians, who sought to dismantle the authoritarian grip of monarchs and usher in an era of unparalleled freedom and prosperity for all. The foundation of libertarianism was the groundbreaking work of English philosopher John Locke, who dared to assert that citizens possessed the inherent right to revolt against tyrannical governments. Locke's revolutionary ideas found fervent support in the writings of John Trenchard and Thomas Gordon, particularly in their publication Cato's Letters, which posited the state as an inherent force of coercion and despotism. Fueled by the enlightened arguments of Locke, Trenchard, and Gordon, the American revolutionaries wove the fabric of libertarianism into the very core of the nation's founding documents. Yet, the vivid thread of libertarian ethos that colored America's early days gradually faded as the centralized powers began an inexorable expansion, diluting the libertarian spirit that once pervaded the land. The narrative took another turn with the birth of the Democratic Party in the early 18th century, aligning itself with the quest for liberty. However, the deeply divisive issue of slavery soon fractured its unity, paving the way for the rise of the Republican Party. While the Republicans played a pivotal role in abolishing slavery, they simultaneously steered the nation towards a path of greater governmental control and intervention, a move that contradicted the libertarian ethos of minimal state interference. Amidst this shifting political landscape, socialism emerged, subtly appropriating the language and rhetoric of libertarianism. Initially positioned at the vanguard of social progressivism, libertarianism found itself sidelined, branded as an anachronism by the newfound champions of progressivism, the socialists. This shift relegated libertarianism to the political fringe, overshadowed by the burgeoning appeal of socialist principles. Despite the ebbs and flows of its influence, libertarianism has demonstrated remarkable resilience, adapting and enduring through centuries of American history. Today, the Libertarian Party stands as the third largest political entity in the United States, a testament to the enduring allure of the libertarian vision. A vision of a society where freedom reigns supreme, unencumbered by the heavy hand of centralized power. Part 2. Unraveling the Core of Libertarian Thought, the Non-Aggression Principle 
At its heart, libertarianism champions a philosophy that vehemently opposes the initiation of force against individuals or their property, a standpoint encapsulated in the non-aggression principle. This foundational belief posits a simple yet profound rule. No person or collective should start or threaten violence against another. This principle not only condemns physical harm, but extends its protective arm over the sanctity of private property as well. Understanding this core axiom unravels the libertarian stance on a plethora of societal issues, such as prostitution, which libertarians do not deem a crime since it lacks aggression between parties. The essence of this credo lies in its advocacy for the inviolability of one's person and possessions, essentially viewing aggression against property as an extension of personal violence. At the foundation of this ideology is the sanctity of private property, seen as the fruit of one's labor. Whether it's transforming raw materials into tangible assets like houses, or exchanging these assets for other goods and services, thereby transferring ownership. Through this lens, libertarians regard private property as an extension of the individual, inherently linking all rights to property rights. Consider the concept of freedom of speech from a libertarian perspective. This right is recognized insofar as it is exercised on one's own property or a property where the individual has permission to speak, emphasizing that rights are intricately tied to one's own domain and agreements with others. A classical contention arises with the hypothetical scenario of falsely shouting fire in a crowded theater. Libertarians argue that such an act constitutes aggression, not because of the statement itself, but due to the violation of contractual obligations and the intrusion on the property rights of the theater owner and attendees. This approach underscores a contractual and property-based view of rights within the libertarian framework. Yet, in addressing the issue of aggression, libertarians point to a far greater perpetrator than the individual, the state. Despite comprising individuals, the state routinely engages in acts deemed criminal if committed by private citizens such as warfare, which in any other context would be viewed as mass violence. Libertarians critique the state's monopoly on aggression, exposing the double standards and terminologies used to mask its actions as serving the public good, thereby challenging the inherent nature of governmental power and authority. The non-aggression principle stands as the cornerstone of libertarian philosophy, guiding its advocacy for individual liberty and a critical examination of the state's role in society. This principle envisions a society where freedom is safeguarded against coercion and rights are intrinsically linked to the realm of private property. Part 3. Behind the Curtain, Unveiling Modern Forms of State-Enforced Servitude Libertarianism, with its staunch opposition to the violation of individual freedoms, vehemently denounces all forms of slavery or forced labor. Given that explicit slavery has been abolished worldwide, one might question the relevance of such discussions in today's context. Yet, libertarians argue that modern society is not free from the chains of servitude. Rather, these chains have taken on new, more insidious forms. At the heart of this discourse is the notion that the state, through various mechanisms, continues to perpetuate forced labor, albeit under guises that make it less apparent to the naked eye. A prime example of this covert servitude is the military draft. 
until not so long ago, the practice of conscripting young men into the military was commonplace, compelling them to fight, risk their lives, and potentially kill in the service of national objectives, with no regard for their personal consent or freedom. This scenario of compulsory servitude extends beyond the draft and into the very fabric of our economic lives through the tax system. Libertarians point out that the presence of income tax creates a situation where a portion of an individual's labor each year is effectively unpaid, making all taxpayers part-time slaves to the state. This arrangement poses a profound ethical dilemma, as it requires individuals to work for no compensation, undermining the very essence of freedom and autonomy. The critique of involuntary servitude under the state's authority does not end with the military and fiscal policies, but extends into the judicial system as well. The prevailing approach to criminal justice, which emphasizes incarceration funded by taxpayer money, imposes an indirect form of forced labor on society, including the victims of the crimes themselves. Moreover, the practice of detaining suspects before trial further exemplifies the state's disregard for the principle of innocence until proven guilty, infringing upon personal freedoms without just cause. Similarly, the treatment of mental illness within our society reflects this disturbing trend. The involuntary commitment of mentally ill individuals, justified by perceived threats to themselves or others, mirrors the arbitrary deprivation of liberty faced by criminal suspects. The argument that a specific demographic, such as teenage males, could be preemptively incarcerated based on statistical probabilities of committing crimes highlights the absurdity of such logic when applied to mental health. While the issue of forced labor and involuntary servitude underpins many critiques of the state's role in society, these examples also underscore a broader pattern of infringements upon personal liberties. Libertarians argue that a truly free society must confront and dismantle these modern manifestations of coercion, advocating for a system that respects individual autonomy and rejects the legitimacy of state-enforced servitude. Part 4. Navigating the Divide Between Morality and State Legislation In the realm of libertarian thought, the conceptual separation between what is considered moral and what is deemed legal is stark and deliberate. Central to this ideology is the assertion that freedoms, such as speech and the press, are manifestations of the broader right to property. Yet, libertarians extend this reasoning to encompass the idea of freedom of will, a notion epitomized by the controversy surrounding the instigation of a riot. Imagine this scenario. If an individual, citizen A, incites a crowd to riot, yet it's citizens B and C who actively partake in the act, libertarian philosophy holds citizens B and C accountable. This is because they made a conscious choice to engage in violent behavior, thus exercising their free will. Despite the evident immorality in inciting a riot, libertarians draw a clear line between moral judgment and legal accountability, advocating that the state should abstain from enforcing a specific moral code through its laws. This distinction highlights a crucial point. While societal norms may oscillate between conservative and liberal moral compasses, neither perspective should dictate the legal framework of a society. For instance, 
the contentious issue of pornography showcases the divergent moral stances. Where conservatives may push for its ban on moral grounds, liberals could champion its legality as a form of expression. However, in libertarian eyes, these debates over morality miss the mark, as the only legitimate legal transgressions are those that infringe upon the non-aggression axiom. Proceeding from this axiom, Libertarians argue for the inviolable right of individuals to own their bodies and properties, thereby justifying the right to use weapons for self-defense. This stance becomes particularly poignant when considering proposals to restrict gun ownership, a policy often championed by liberals in the name of protecting the vulnerable. Yet, evidence suggests that those most in need of protection, such as African Americans, low-income individuals, and the elderly, are also among the groups most likely to rely on firearms for self-defense, illustrating a practical contradiction in policies aiming to legislate morality. The crux of libertarian philosophy lies in its unwavering commitment to minimize state intervention, especially when such intervention attempts to enforce a particular moral viewpoint. This approach raises significant questions about the role and scope of governmental involvement in various aspects of life including education. When the state steps in to dictate moral standards, it invariably encroaches upon individual freedoms, setting the stage for a deeper exploration of the implications of state-led morality in education and beyond. Part 5. When state-run services do more harm than good. At the core of modern society lies a deeply ingrained belief in the necessity of education and welfare as pillars of support for our children and the less fortunate. However, a closer look through the libertarian lens reveals a troubling portrait of state intervention, where well-intentioned programs often lead to unintended negative consequences for those they aim to aid. The journey into the realm of state-run education uncovers its not-so-progressive roots, dating back to the 1920s when Oregon passed a law eliminating private schools in favor of a unified state-controlled system. This movement, championed by the Ku Klux Klan, sought to strip away the cultural identity of immigrants and Catholics by assimilating them into a standardized public schooling framework. Far from fostering diversity and personal growth, this approach homogenizes learning, obscuring the rich tapestry of individual talents and interests that children possess. The central issue with government-funded education is its inherent inability to cater to the vast diversity of student needs and aspirations. Adults, recognized for their distinct personalities and proficiencies, are afforded the liberty to pursue careers that align with their individual capabilities. Yet, paradoxically, the education system corrals children into a generic, uniform curriculum, disregarding their unique abilities and predilections. Envision, for a moment, a landscape where education is privatized. This would empower parents to choose schools that resonate with their children's specific educational needs, be it religious instruction, innovative teaching methodologies, or specialized programs that align with their unique potential. The diversity of educational experiences would not only respect, but nurture the individuality of each child. The pitfalls of state intervention extend beyond education into the domain of welfare, where well-meaning programs inadvertently perpetuate the challenges they seek to overcome. Despite a decrease in poverty levels during the 1970s, 
welfare expenditure soared, demonstrating a disconnection between program costs and their effectiveness in alleviating poverty. The dramatic escalation in welfare funding, with spending rising from $13.7 billion in 1937 to $247.7 billion in 1976, underscores a burgeoning crisis where the incentives to work are diminished by the relatively attractive prospect of welfare benefits. This misallocation of resources reveals a more insidious aspect of welfare. Rather than redistributing wealth from the affluent to the impoverished, it often cycles money among the poor themselves. Taxation disproportionately affects low-income earners, who then see their contributions funneled not back into their pockets, but towards supporting other welfare recipients. This cycle not only fails to uplift the economically disadvantaged, but also ensnares them in a perpetual state of dependency. In confronting these realities, the libertarian perspective champions a significant re-evaluation of state-run services. By advocating for the privatization of education and the reconsideration of welfare programs, it calls into question the efficacy of state intervention in truly serving public interest, highlighting the need for solutions that genuinely empower individuals and respect their inherent diversity and dignity. Part 6. The Tangled Web of the Federal Reserve. Inflation and Economic Cycles. Imagine for a moment a scenario where a family, let's call them the Joneses, are given a magical financial tool by the government, a money printer. Initially, they use this newfound power to clear their debts and improve their standard of living. Yet, as human nature dictates, they soon crave more, printing money for luxuries, drastically increasing the money supply in their economy. This tale, while fictional, serves as a metaphor for a very real institution and its profound impact on the American economy. The Federal Reserve, affectionately known as the Fed. The Fed, much like our hypothetical Joneses, has an unparalleled authority over the nation's money supply. However, its methods are far from straightforward, woven into a complex system that permits it to multiply the currency supply, thereby cultivating the seeds of inflation and economic downturns without the blatant use of a money printer. The heart of this complex system is the Fed's ability to write checks and create bank demand deposits at a ratio significantly exceeding its actual cash reserves, operating at an astonishing rate of 6, 1. This unique advantage allows banks to lend multiples of the actual cash they possess. The catch here is that if every depositor decided to withdraw their cash simultaneously, the Federal Reserve would find itself in an untenable position, potentially triggering widespread inflation through emergency printing measures. This practice plays a pivotal role in the notorious economic boom-bust cycle, with the Fed acting as the conductor of this unstable symphony. During periods of economic expansion, the Fed embarks on a spree of increasing the money supply, encouraging banks to extend loans at unnaturally low interest rates. This false prosperity nudges businessmen to pour investments into capital goods, like factories, inadvertently setting the stage for consumer price inflation as the increased money supply chases after goods. The narrative inevitably pivots as banks seek to recall loans to fortify their reserves, ushering in an economic contraction. In a bid to salvage the situation, the Fed intervenes, 
granting bailouts to the banks and further diluting the currency's value. This intervention mirrors the initial whims of the Jones family, expanding the government's coffers at the expense of the general populace. The perennial increase in the money supply ensures that prices continue their upward trajectory, entrenching the economy in a relentless cycle of inflation and recession. Thus, the Federal Reserve, through its intricate and opaque operations, fosters a financial environment characterized by inflation and economic instability. This cycle not only enriches a select few, but also perpetuates a system where the economic well-being of many is sacrificed for the maintenance of this convoluted financial architecture. Part 7. Envisioning a Society with Privatized Public Services Imagine a world where the concept of the government providing essential services, like roads or security, is as foreign as the idea of it supplying every citizen with shoes. Sounds intriguing? This is precisely the kind of society libertarians advocate for, a society where public sector roles are handed over to the private sector, fueled by a strong belief in the superior efficiency and quality that competition in the free market brings. The essence of this perspective rests on the conviction that streets, police forces, and judicial systems not only can, but should be privatized to foster more effective and accountable services. Let's delve into a scenario where this libertarian vision comes to life. In this envisioned society, all land, including the streets that weave through residential neighborhoods, becomes private property. Landlords might unite to buy and co-own specific areas, driven by the shared objective of enhancing the value of their investment. Their vested interest in their property's attractiveness and safety would naturally motivate them to maintain and secure the streets, ensuring they are both efficient for travel and vigilant against crime. But how would safety be ensured? Enter the concept of privately contracted police services. Landlords, in their quest to draw in and retain tenants, would likely invest in private security firms to patrol their domains, embodying an innovative approach to community safety. Now consider a situation where a crime occurs within this privatized framework. The victim, Smith, decides to pursue justice through one of the many competitive court systems now available. When one court rules in favor of Smith and another vindicates the accused, Jones, they proceed to a third, neutral court of appeals to resolve the conflict definitively. In the absence of a centralized state authority to enforce judicial decisions, compliance relies on a system of social and economic incentives and repercussions. If, for example, a businessman is adjudicated as a fraud and ignores the court's penalty, the resultant public knowledge would naturally tarnish his reputation leading to a self-enforced exclusion from business circles. Through this lens, libertarians envision a society where the private sector's prowess in innovation, service delivery, and accountability directly replaces the traditional functions of the state. Such a shift not only challenges our conventional understanding of public services, but also opens the floor to a radical reimagining of societal organization, promising enhanced efficiency and an elevated standard of living rooted through the principles of free market competition and private ownership. Part 8. Unleashing the Market. A Solution to Environmental Challenges. 
In the midst of ongoing debates about environmental degradation, a common narrative pits capitalism and industrial growth as primary villains in the story of global ecological decline. However, a deeper dive into the mechanics of free markets reveals a potential hero in the saga against environmental damage, suggesting that capitalism, rather than being the problem, could hold the key to sustainable solutions. Reflecting upon the astonishing growth that capitalism has catalyzed over the centuries, it's clear that this system has dramatically improved living standards across North America, supporting hundreds of millions of people in stark contrast to the subsistence existence of populations pre-capitalism. The question then arises, can the same forces that propelled mankind to this high standard of living also address the pressing issues of resource depletion and pollution? The proposition is bold. A fully liberated market possesses the inherent capacity to rectify environmental challenges, particularly those exacerbated or overlooked by government intervention. Evidence of the market's potential for conservation is already visible in industries like mining. Here, the dynamics of supply and demand inherently discourage overexploitation. Mining companies, aware that excessive extraction diminishes future profits, naturally adopt a more conservative approach to resource utilization. This market-driven restraint starkly contrasts with areas under government control, such as the timber industry, where the absence of ownership rights leads to short-sighted exploitation and scarcity. In the realm of forestry, government ownership and short-term leasing arrangements have stripped private companies of any incentive to sustainably manage and conserve their resources. The solution then lies in privatization, which would align economic incentives with environmental stewardship, encouraging companies to invest in the long-term health of forests. The potential applications of market principles extend to combating pollution as well. Consider a world where vital water resources, like the Mississippi River, are privately owned. The owner, recognizing the intrinsic value of a clean, unpolluted river, would zealously guard against contamination, leveraging legal avenues to protect this precious asset. The market would naturally deter pollution through the establishment of clear ownership and accountability. Moreover, Addressing municipal sewage pollution illustrates how market incentives can drive innovation and adoption of eco-friendly technologies. With the government currently providing sewage disposal services at no direct cost to individuals, there's little motivation to invest in alternative solutions like eco-friendly toilets, which offer a sustainable method of waste management but lack widespread adoption due to the lack of economic pressure. Through these examples, it becomes evident that unleashing the market's full potential offers a promising pathway to resolving environmental challenges. By harnessing the principles of ownership, accountability, and economic incentives, a truly free market could transform the current environmental landscape, proving capitalism not only as a driver of prosperity, but also as a guardian of our planet's future. Part 9 the libertarian stance on war and international affairs. Libertarians, often misunderstood as isolationists or painted with the broad brush of pacifism, ground their opposition to warfare in the deeper principles of non-aggression. The ideal libertarian state, a landscape devoid of war and foreign policy, 
where no governments exists to assert dominion, remains a distant utopia. The reality we navigate is one of nation-states, each wielding its own monopoly over violence within distinct boundaries, steering these entities towards peace, encouraging them to curb external aggression, and focusing instead on managing their internal affairs without resorting to violence against other states, forms the essence of the libertarian foreign policy vision. This minimalistic approach to international relations is defined by a fundamental belief. States should interfere as little as possible in the affairs of other states. Warfare, especially in its modern incarnation, represents an unprecedented level of violence and destruction. A stark departure from historical conflicts, which largely spared civilian populations and featured less lethal weaponry. The advent of powerful, destructive arsenals and the rise of nationalism have transformed war into a mechanism for mass civilian casualties, deviating far from its medieval precedents. One might ponder the moral dimensions of intervention when a nation unjustly attacks another. Is it not just for a third country to step in defense of the oppressed, much as an individual might intervene in a street mugging? Such analogies, however, falter under closer examination, for the dynamics of state-to-state aggression differ vastly from personal confrontations. Any intervention by a state not only exposes its civilians to potential retaliatory harms, but also implicates innocent populations of the belligerent states, drawing parallels more closely with the indiscriminate destruction of bombing a city block than with noble acts of individual heroism. Amidst this complex ethical landscape, guerrilla warfare emerges as a symbol of resistance that aligns with libertarian ideals. This form of conflict, typically waged by civilians in defense against state oppression, epitomizes the right to self-defense while adhering to the principles of non-aggression. Unlike state-led wars, which often compel participation through conscription and fund military endeavors via taxation, Guerrilla warfare is grounded in voluntary defense against coercion, resonating with the libertarian ethos. Through this lens, libertarians navigate the intricate realm of international relations, advocating for a world where minimal state interference and adherence to the non-aggression axiom pave the way for peace. They champion the right of individuals and communities to defend themselves while condemning the broader machinations of state-driven warfare that sacrifices countless lives on the altar of national interest. Final summary. In a world where the role of the government is often considered as essential as the air we breathe, the libertarian viewpoint offers a radical departure, challenging the very foundations of state authority and intervention. At the heart of this perspective is a critical examination of the state, perceived not as a guardian of public welfare, but rather akin to a highwayman, who, under the threat of force, extracts wealth from its citizens, curtails individual freedoms, and obstructs the natural flow of free enterprise. Through the libertarian lens, the array of functions currently monopolized by the government, from law enforcement and judicial systems to education and environmental conservation, would not just survive but thrive under the auspices of privatization and unrestricted market dynamics. In this envisaged society, the principles of voluntary exchange, property rights, and non-aggression form the pillars of social organization.
promising a landscape where services are tailored to meet the genuine needs and preferences of individuals rather than imposed through the coercive power of state machinery. Embarking on this thought experiment invites us to reimagine the possibilities of a society where freedom and liberty are not mere ideals, but living, breathing realities, fostered by the dissolution of state control and the flourishing of unrestricted markets. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then. Happy reading and happy listening.